Did you appreciate that good singing? That was, uh, well, that was awesome. That was just, uh, that was just awesome. And the boy there, I just uh, sad you ran out of songs because I, I knew he was going to play two or three more instruments there. And uh, wow, what a, what a talented family. And aren't you thankful that they've given their talents in the service of the Lord? Amen. 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 God bless you. And that is, uh, that is my second time to be in church with you. And, uh, and what a delight. If you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope you do, we've come here to gather around the fire and the warmth of God's Word. Could I invite you to the book of Jeremiah chapter 18? Jeremiah chapter 18, we'll begin in verse 1 and see what the Lord would say through Jeremiah unto the people, the people of Israel, supposedly to be God's people, but they had returned to their former lusts and had refused to be God's people. And so God sent, as I said last night, many prophets to them time and again. And Jesus said that they had even slain many of the prophets because they would not receive the word of the Lord. Jeremiah came in a long line of really good preachers. They did not receive him either. They did not receive him. And in fact, he is known as the the weeping prophet because as far as we know, Jeremiah preached many years and never received a convert. No one ever came to the altar call when, when Jeremiah gave it. He, he preached a message that exactly what God gave him. to. There wasn't a, a time where Jeremiah didn't preach exactly what God gave him. And there was also never a time that folks responded uh, in repentance and in humility to the word of the Lord. And, and so it was a great, uh, it was a great time of, of sadness and sorrow for Jeremiah. And the, the burden of the word of the Lord was heavy on him, even to the point where Jeremiah was discouraged in the ministry. And he decided, I will not do this anymore. And he said, I'll put it down. And in the same sentence, he said, I cannot because the word of God is like a a fire shut up in my bones and and I can't do anything else. And if any preachers here know what I'm talking about. And it is indeed just that way that God might have his way through the strangest of circumstances. Did you know that God is not like us? Brother Bernard, if I were God, what I would do is I would use preachers better than you and me. What I would do is I would send angels of flaming fire with six wings and they would tower 40 and 50 and 100 feet off the ground and they would flap wings and proclaim the gospel. And I believe folks would listen. Tell me you wouldn't go to that camp meeting. But the Lord has chosen Uh, Weak and beggarly elements. The Lord is not like us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't do things the way that we would do things. Instead, he does things sometimes in the opposite way. Let me read to you the way that God said he would deal with his people in order to call them to repentance. Look at the strange way that the Lord works. Let me remind you that God's word is perfect. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay, there the potter is spinning the vessel of clay. Look what it says, was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, 
Here's what I mean by that. This is what I mean to say to you by this. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in mine hand. O house of Israel, at at what instance, at what instant I, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, did you hear that in verse 8, hear that clause? If that nation would but turn from their evil, I would repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Why would God do this? Well, what's the point here? Look at what he says in verse 9. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore, he tells Jeremiah, go to speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, or, or sorrow against you, or, or pain against you, and devise a device against you, Here's the point of the whole thing. Look here in the middle of verse 11, right there. Return ye now, every one from his evil way, and make your way and your doings good. Here the cry of the Lord is for people to come to him. As he calls out to them, as he invites them warmly and welcomingly, he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And the call has gone out far and wide, and the people have said, I am busy, I am am occupied, I am not interested. And the Lord says, I love you so much, I will get your attention. Do you know that God loves you so much, he will use even painful instances to gather our attention to him? I know we don't like to think of ourselves like this, but if you'll read the Bible, you'll see that in the Scriptures, we are likened to sheep more than any other animal. And I'm not a farmer, but I know enough to know that that's not a compliment. They're, they're not genius creatures. They're kind of defenseless and a bit dumb and almost useless. And they're quite precarious in terms of how they just wander and roam aimlessly. Okay, yeah, I get it now. Okay, yep, I hear it. I hear it there when I said it there, yeah. The Lord says, no, I I desire that you would come, come to me, come home to me. And you know, in the 23rd Psalm, in this great Psalm where, where David says that the Lord is my what? I shall not. He makes me lie down. Sometimes against my will, against my sheepness, it is not my desire. I have my plans, I have my ideas, and the Lord causes me to lie down. Sometimes it is through sickness, or sometimes it is through unemployment, or sometimes it is through natural disaster, sometimes it is through uh, any various means. The Lord will say, hey, 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 remember I am the Lord and that you are not the Lord. Let me draw your attention back to what is important here. And we would say, Lord, why would you do that? Because we're sheep and we don't get it sometimes. I've got a little sheep right here. Sometimes I have to get his attention. Do you know what I mean by get his attention? 
I mean, somehow I have to tan his hide. Or in the, in the words of my grandmother, I have to jerk a knot in him. I still don't know what that means, but I try to do it once in a while. I said, I ought to jerk a knot. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm jerking a knot. To cause him, I love him too much to let him act this way. Right? And we're in a parking lot. and I mean, the whole world is, is just a playground for him, and cars will kill you. He doesn't know that. And so sometimes I have to jerk a knot. You know, sometimes I have to, I have to get loud, and sometimes I have to be forceful in order to, for him to realize, oh, danger. Yes, I need my father. I must draw near to him. And I'm telling you right now, I am not good. I'm not a good father. I'm definitely not the heavenly father. But I will do whatever it takes to protect that boy and keep him safe from harm. And if you think that your heavenly father loves you any less than I love him, you are out of your mind. He will jerk a knot in your life, the likes of which you've never known before, just so that he can say, I love you, and your attention is elsewhere, but I need your attention to be right here. Here he says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I want to show you something. He goes down there and looks in the window, and sure enough, there the potter spins the, and he says, okay, I get it. Maybe the Lord is, uh, he's the creator, he's the maker. Yes, that's all there. There, the potter decides, I'm going to redo what I've done here. And so he intentionally mars the clay. Jeremiah continues to watch, and he puts more water on there. and He adds some velocity to that wheel, and he begins to make something new out of that. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, a couple of things. He says, first of all, I am this way. I am the maker. I am the creator. I am the builder and the sustainer, and I am also the marrer. Because I want to make you the way that I want to make you. And I'll mar you if I would like to mar you. But I want you to know that every time he does what he does, he does it for our good. Why does he do it? Look there in the middle of verse 11. Return ye now. Why, O oh Lord? Why would you be so hard and so forceful and so, and it seems so rude as it, I discipline him sometimes. He goes, you're being so rude to me. Sometimes we can say like, the Lord's being rude to us. No, honey, he ain't rude. He's just God. And we don't understand him. And if we understood him, he'd, he wouldn't be God no more. But he is God. And whether we understand it or not, but he does these things that, that there is uh, to, to draw our attention to him. Uh, what I want to tell you that tonight is just here in one sentence. There is purpose in your pain if you will serve the Lord. I'll say it to you again. There will be purpose in your pain in the way of serving Jesus Christ. He promises that not a tear will fall to the ground in vain, that it will all be recorded and used for your betterment. It, was, it will work an eternal weight of glory in you in the service to the crown. But if you'll not serve the Lord, you will suffer still, but it will be for nothing. Think about that. Think about that. I don't know what God is doing, but I know that this is a long road home. And God is, God is walking me, and sometimes it is in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I'm telling you, it has been some, some difficult times. The songs you sang tonight I ministered maybe just to me. It was so wonderful. I need a business card. That was so good. It is so true that God is with us. He never leaves us, and he always does things for our benefit to call us to himself, to make us to be like him. 
That's what it says there in verses 7 through 10. He says, at one instance, would I call this people and they would not return to me and I would bring pain in their lives to remember so that they might remember me. And what instance might I call a people and they would return to me? He goes, then I would take the pain away. I would like to tell you that God is, is so ever-present in my life when things are going really good. But Brother Bernard, I often fail to remember the Lord when things are really good. I tell you what, my wife called me today and she said, I think something's wrong with this baby. I'm telling you, I can pray. I can pray when I get a text like that. And so we're just praying and we're just hoping and we're asking God to have his way. But the Lord sometimes will speak to us in pain in ways that he cannot speak to us in joy. One of the smart philosophers and the founding fathers of our faith, he would say that God speaks to us in our joy, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's Martin Luther or one of them smart people. That's true. That's, that is exactly what it is. God speaks to us. Why? To make us more like himself. That's the whole point. I mean, if you just flip over there, if you don't have to, but Jeremiah 7 and verse 3, this is what the Lord preaches through Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Talking about the temple of the Lord. It is the will of God that we would repent of our sins and, and walk in his paths and, 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 and be, be led where he is leading us and, and not be sniff-necked and, and not be hard-hearted, but, but that we would be pliable and moldable and we would say, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I want to do. Or in Jeremiah 26 and verse 3, he says, If so, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil in their doings or the evil of their doings. God says, why has the pain come in their lives? So that I could call them to repentance. He's not a, he's not a God that causes pain for the sake of pain. He's a God that causes pain for the sake of righteousness. It is he that reminds Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I have for you, Jeremiah, the plans that I have for you. Here, a miserable man in a, in a miserable ministry, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end that you call upon me and you go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek my face and find me and you shall search for me with all of your heart. This is the will of God for our lives that we would remember who it is in the morning that we must commune with, who it is at lunchtime that we must rely on, who it is in the evening time that we must run back to daily, praying without ceasing, spending our time with the Lord. And I'm telling you, I wish it weren't this way. But the thing that causes us to live like that is just a little bit of discomfort. So that we would learn to trust him and to be like him. And I don't always understand it, but God does. Can I read to you a poem? I don't usually read poems in sermons, but this one's good. It's called, When God Wants to Drill a Man. It says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man... When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, and that's what he's doing. When he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways. Whom he ruthlessly perfects, whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and he hurts him with mighty blows converts him. 
into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. And boy, isn't that the truth. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. You sit here tonight, and I, I can't even begin to imagine, but just in the three days that I've been here, I've heard some of your stories and heard, heard some of your songs and heard some of your testimony. And even today, the pastor and I went to lunch, and we had a waitress by the name of Ann there at, where we go? Oh, Charlie's. Uh, they've got free pie on Wednesdays, so just keep that in mind. It was awesome. When Anne came to our table to, to take our order, we told her that we were preachers and that we were going to pray over our food in a moment and wondered if there was anything that we could pray for her about. And She immediately said that her son had gone through a bad divorce and was in the middle of bankruptcy. And We just tried to listen and say, oh, we're so sorry. And She said, oh, don't you worry, the Lord is working in this. <laughs> I said, I wish you'd come to church and say that tonight. <laughs> That's exactly right. That mama is, in, is exactly, I said, we will pray for him. And we, we are praying for him and, and pray for Anne. And it seems that she's a woman of faith and, and that she really believes in the power of God. But she said, no, it's okay. It's all right. He was only married seven months. And, and she ran off and left him. But God has not left him. And, and God is doing a great work here. And God is doing something that that mom would like to do but cannot do. Did you know that God can only do for you what only God can do for you? And he will do it however he wants to do it, and he's perfect in how he does it, and only he understands it, but he's going to do a good work in you, even in, even in your pain. Amen. This is how he does. It's just like that little lamb there that's retrieved in the 23rd Psalm. That 23rd Psalm is the, is the psalm of, 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 of the, of a, it's not a psalm of ascent, but it kind of is a psalm of ascent from the valley into the mountain. As they travel, the, the little sheep, you know how he says there, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And somewhere there between verses 2 and 3, something happens that says, and he restoreth my soul. The psalmist left that part out. Why, why did you need to be restored, David? Well, because I wandered away. I, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the psalm of David right there. And he went out and found that sheep and brought him home. And didn't just, didn't just give him a noogie and say, you knucklehead. No, but scripture would indicate that he brought that lamb home and laid him down and broke his leg. Because sheep don't learn real good except through pain. And that bounding him up and mending his wound and, and carrying that sheep around and, and bottle feeding him or taking him to the brook and helping him to get a drink and meeting every need while he is lame. He learns as he walks and lives with the shepherd, the scent of the shepherd and the voice of the shepherd and, and what it is to belong to the shepherd. And, and that little sheep, when mended, won't leave the shepherd anymore. And you think, well, how cruel and how terrible. But it might have well have saved the life of that little sheep. Done a good thing to that sheep, even through uh, what would seem so terrible as the breaking of the leg. See, God is going to do good things regardless of you and I's vote. 
Would you flip in your Bibles? Would you go with me to 2 Corinthians 4? I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that I read at my father's funeral. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is preaching and he's telling folks this very same message. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, well, we'll read verse 15 because it's all so good. The only reason we don't read all of it is for the sake of time, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, it says, For all things are for your sake. That's true. God does all things with our good in mind. That the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Verse 16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I'm going to read verse 16 again, and if you've experienced that, would you raise your hand and praise to the Lord? For which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is, is renewed day by day. God is ministering, God is, 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 is furnishing, and he's feeding, and he's helping us. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. <laughs> I mean, just imagine Paul saying this, a man of tremendous suffering, a man who had lost many friends and much of his family just because of his change of occupation. Can you imagine what it was like when, when Paul decided to stop killing Christians and start winning them to the Lord? A man who suffered in the New Testament. We don't really know anybody like him with the shipwrecks and the beatings and the floggings and the starvings and the, the snake bites and you talk about a man who had a hard road to hoe. Here Paul is, and he says, Our pain in this life, ordained under the ministry of Jesus Christ, in the way of obedience to the cross, is a couple of things. He says, first of all, it's light affliction. Church, I don't say that disrespectfully or, or crudely because I know that some of your pain is probably far greater than my pain. The Bible says if you will trust God and obey God in the loss of your children, in the loss of your spouse, as you see yourself being abandoned and betrayed in whatever arena, in whatever way, that compared to heaven to come, these things are small. Just like the brother testified a minute ago, I think we'll look back on this life and we might not even remember who sang or who preached or even the trouble that we were in. But we will remember that God was faithful the entire time. There will be no tears in that land over there. I doubt we'll be reminiscing about all of the troubles and all the sorrows and the 2020 election and, and the, what we got, corona. We have so many diseases that we're supposed to be afraid of. I, get, I lose track of them. But we will remember that God was faithful the entire time. I doubt we'll be up there saying, do you remember the 2020 tornadoes that come through there? We, don't, we won't talk about that, but we'll say, do you, oh, God was good. God was good. He, and we didn't see it then, but now we see it. We see it in hindsight that he was faithful and that he was, he, we will see these things in perspective one day and they will be light because they are momentary. They are just in this life. We will not take these problems to heaven. <laughs> I am so thankful that my dad had so many griefs and sorrows in this world, and he remembers them no more, and they are no more part of his life because they were temporary in this world. That's why Paul finishes up here by saying, there are things that we see and things that we do not see. 
But let me encourage you to look on the things that we do not see. See that little play on words? Look on the things that, that you cannot see. He goes, because those will be the things that will remain, and everything that you do see will be temporal, temporary. It's all just going to pass away one day. And thirdly, he says, these troubles in this life, this pain, whether it is caused by God or allowed by God, or pastors, I don't know how to explain all the pain in this world other than to say that it is doing something for the believer. Would you read that with me there at the end of verse 17? He says, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This weight of glory is so tremendous. It far outweighs, he says, far exceeding the troubles of this life. Far exceeding these afflictions that are light and they are momentary. They are doing something in us. Dear believer, what I want to tell you tonight, the trouble in your life, God has allowed it to come, not to push you, but to draw you. Don't waste your pain. Use it to draw close to God. That's his system. That's his system. It's a drawing. This is how it was in the, in the wilderness. The children of Israel were out there in the wilderness and they're starving, right? And they said, there's no bread out here. So what did the Lord do? He rained down from heaven what? Manna. And what did he say? Go get some. But only get enough for, he said, because tomorrow I'll give you more. Boy, wouldn't it just be wonderful if we could say, Lord, alleviate the pain and suffering of this life. I don't think he'd be against that, but I think he knows we would leave him in the dust. This is how God works. No matter what it is that you need tonight, if you need courage, if you need, if you need faith, if, if you need compassion, if you need forgiveness, if you need the ability to forgive, God is going to give it to you. He will. He promises. But he's going to do it in a bite-sized format. And don't say, Lord, I need, I need everything I need to raise my son. He's going to say, good, I'll see you in the morning. Here's going to be enough for today, but tomorrow you'll need more. I want you to come right back. I'm going to feed you more. I want us to be in relationship as I bless you. I want your pain to be a reminder that you need me and to come to me. And in hindsight, we'll see it all differently. You know, Joseph said that to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20. They came and they apologized. And he, remember that? When he revealed himself to them and he said, I am thy brother whom thou sold into slavery. And they cried and they wept. And he said, don't you worry, boys. You meant it for evil. God meant it for God always means it for good. Everything he means for good. When it's beyond my comprehension, we can always say this phrase, God is at work. Let's say phrases like, we know all things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I confess something to you? I don't know how that's true, but I believe it. I believe it, I trust it, I say it, I preach it, I really do. I say, Lord, I believe that, I just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't have to for it to be true. All things work together for good. Dad passed away three years ago, the end of this month. He passed away March 28th. We buried him on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day, Brother Bernard. So if anyone says, is Rick Locklear dead? You say, April Fool's, he's alive. 
We went to so many treatments. The U of M hospital is about an hour away from our house, and so he went three, four, five, sometimes six days a week for treatments, chemo, radiation, various scans, blood draws. It just was so laborious in this process of, of, his, of his cancer, and he was just so weary and so tired from it, and, and rightfully so. One particular day, we were sitting there in the waiting room of the radiology and he was going to have a, a um, radiology on his hip and on his head. He had so much cancer in his hip, in his spine, in his, in his shoulders, and in, in his skull. And it was, it, was, it was very progressive and very fast, even though he battled it for almost nine years. Now, I remember this because I would come a lot to camp and I would ask you to pray. And you guys were with me through a lot of that. And I, we were sitting there in the waiting room, and I was reading a golf digest, because I'm spiritual, and um, Dad was reading a commentary by John MacArthur, because he really was spiritual. And he closed his book, and he says, you know something, Jonathan? He said, this cancer is the best thing that could ever have happened to me. And I said, okay, I'll bite. <laughs> What, what, what do you mean by that, Dad? What could you possibly mean by that? He said, because I belong to God, and he is my father, and he has my best interest at heart. And he would not give me something that were not in my best interest. Therefore, I must surmise that this cancer is the best thing that could have happened to me. Thank you, Lord. Oftentimes, it's easy to despise the thorn in the flesh. And maybe you're scratching that thorn and you've asked the Lord three times to remove this thing and the Lord is just saying to you, my grace is perfect in your weakness. I will be perfect. I will not remove it, but I will stay with you through it. Let me tell you this. It would be better to live with God in turmoil than to live with God, without God, without any pain whatsoever. I take God every day of the week than to be alone and to be in some kind of utopian paradise where there's no heaven at the end. Could I invite you tonight to reorder our thinking? Do not waste your cancer. Do not waste your pain. Do not despise the thorn in the flesh. Do not be ugly about what God is doing. He's doing something, and, and if you will, in the way of obedience to him, if you'll submit to him tonight, it will have meaning. There will be purpose in your pain, and if you do not, there will just be pain. So I don't know where you are, but let me tell you this. God is good. He has not forgotten you. He knows right where you are. He knows where your enemies are. And I'd rather be you than them. He has your best interests at heart. He has never blinked from looking at you. He is in control and he is in charge and he is doing something good. And if it were not good for you, he would not have allowed it in your life. To the best of my knowledge, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who we gladly serve. Would you stand and let me pray for you? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I'll be honest, Lord, I haven't mastered all of it, but I do believe that you are good. Even in our pain, Lord, you are good. And whatever would come, Lord, I pray that you would have your way and that we would not run, but that we would draw close to you. 
Lord, that you would be the light of our life and that you would be the comfort that we so desire and that someone would come tonight and crawl up into the arms of the Father and just say, Lord, I don't know what to do or where to go, but I need you to hold me right now. God, would you be faithful to them? I've promised them tonight, Lord, that there would be purpose in their pain if they would but trust you. Lord Jesus, prove yourself true to them right now. Right now in this place, folks who have stood for you their entire lives, I pray, Lord, that they could just fall back into the truth of your word and that you would hold them even in their pain, even as they are marred and make of them something, Lord, that only you could do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, as we sing, I want you just to turn loose. And to let yourself go and, 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 and apologize to God for, for not understanding all of his ways. We're not going to, but we must submit to him. The altar is open. I invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you.